I believe in the sweet spot, softcore pornography, opening your presents Christmas morning rather than Christmas Eve, and I believe in long, slow, deep, soft, wet kisses that last three days. We're, uh, from Alcoholics Anonymous. What's your name? Well, we're anonymous. You know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? You just put your lips together and blow. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. All righty then, hello, and welcome back. This is Storytime, and I am GamerDude. Glad to have you back for another episode of stories of my youth and my past, and stories that I think might be interesting to you. Today's stories are about um, stories about a lot of things that a lot of folks who watch me on Twitch and listen to the podcast probably don't really have a concept of because it's such a foreign concept to the way things are today. I know we have a lot of movie fans in the stream. I know we have a lot of movie fans who listen to the podcast, but there's a history to watching movies from today that's very, very different from the way it was when I was a kid and the way it was when my parents were kids too. Now, it used to be in the days before television that if you wanted to see a movie, you obviously had to go to the movie theater. And movie theaters, now this is before my time, so let's not get crazy here, but movie theaters back in the olden days, before me, I know that's really old, um, the movie theaters would run movies all day. And I remember my mother and my grandmother telling stories about going to the movie theater in the afternoon and paying a nickel or a dime or whatever the, the ticket price was at the time and sitting in the movie theater all afternoon. And if you look back at those times, they had serials, not serials like Captain Crunch, but serials as in a serial story. Many episodes form a serial. Um, they would have serials like Flash Gordon or The Lone Ranger, and they would do episodic movies similar to TV shows, and they would show different episodes every week in the movie theaters. They would also have the cartoons that we came to watch when I was a kid. Those would be in the movie theaters too, like Bugs Bunny or The Roadrunner or Daffy Duck or Porky Pig or all of those, uh, those early Warner Brothers cartoons were from that era. So that was the entertainment back then. So the movies that my mom grew up with were the movies that I came to watch on TV. And back when I was a kid, that's the only way we could watch movies. If we didn't go to the movie theater, we would watch it on TV. There was no VCR. There was no DVD. There was no internet. So there was nothing to stream a movie from. All of those concepts were beyond our ability to understand or even envision back in the day. If we wanted to watch an old movie, we would have to wait for it to come around on TV. Now, there was a lot of what they called movie shows on the television when I was a kid. In the afternoons, ABC out of New York would have the afternoon movie, aptly named because they usually ran it from 4 o'clock to 6 o'clock. And they would play an old movie, whether it was Singing in the Rain or Casablanca or any of the classic old movies. They would put them on at that 4 to 6 window for people who wanted to watch old movies during the day. When the soap operas were over, when the game shows were done, people would switch to Channel 7 if they wanted to watch a movie. And that was my introduction to a lot of the old movies because my mom wanted to see the movies that she grew up with. And that was the only way she could do it, by watching those movies on the, on the Channel 7 movie in the afternoon. Sometimes some of the other channels would run them in the afternoons or late at night. You'd sometimes get an 1130 movie. 
back in the day before David Letterman, before there were talk shows, the only nighttime talk show was Johnny Carson on The Tonight Show. Other channels would run movies at 11.30 at night. For those late birds who would stay up and had nothing else to watch, they would watch old movies at 11.30. And you would see some weirder choices at 11.30 at night. Like, I remember I remember staying up late and watching the Monkees movie. Do you remember the Monkees, the rock band? Well, the pretend rock band that was America's answer to the Beatles. Uh, the Monkees had a movie called Head. And that aired at 11.30 at night. And I remember staying up to watch it one weekend. Uh, when my parents let me stay up really late. And it was one of the strangest little movies I'd ever seen. But the only way that I got to see that was watching it as a, watching it as a repeat at 11.30 at night. We couldn't buy it anywhere. We couldn't rent it anywhere because it didn't exist except when the TV networks decided to broadcast them. And that's really one of the reasons that things like soundtrack albums, and these are the actual vinyl albums, soundtrack albums would be very popular and why my mom had a lot of those because she loved the music from the movies. And it was, instead of soundtracks like today, where they would take popular songs and play them during a movie, the movie musicals that my mom grew up with, and as a result that I grew up with, would actually put the soundtrack of the original cast recording on an LP, and then you could play the songs in your house whenever you wanted. That's as close as we came to being able to watch a movie again at home. You weren't watching it, but you would listen to it. I remember, for instance... And I still have the albums in my collection. My mom's original cast recording of the movie Camelot. I have the original cast recording of Sound of Music and the original cast recording of Guys and Dolls. Because these were the, th these were the ways that you could relive the movies that you really liked. Yes, they were musicals and you had to kind of accept that. Because they didn't put out soundtracks for the dialogue from Casablanca, for instance. But they would put out the soundtrack for musicals, and then you could relive the musical during the course of your day. You'd put the record on and clean the house or do your homework or whatever, and you could listen to your movie while you were doing that. But that's as close as we came to being able to relive the movies that, that either my parents grew up with or that I grew up with. Now, if we wanted to see what we call a first-run movie on TV, we'd have to wait for it to come around to TV. And there was a long waiting period. I mean, back in the day, movies stayed in theaters for a long time, weeks and weeks and weeks. It's not like today, where a movie will release on January 1st, and you'll be able to watch it on Netflix on March 1st, and own a copy of it by April 1st. It wasn't like that. If you saw a movie that you wanted to see, and you didn't get to the theater to see it, you would have to wait for the networks to buy the rights to it and then decide to air it. And the studios wouldn't release the rights right away. They'd hold on to those rights. So it could be years before you ever saw a movie that was in the movie theaters and be able to watch it at home. Now think about that. There was no instant, I can see this next week or maybe next month. You might never see it or you might see it five years down the road. It was a weird, a weirdly different way that was just the norm for us. It wasn't weird for us at the time. But looking back, can you imagine having to wait five years to see a movie? And the thing is, if you didn't see it when the network aired it, you'd be out of luck. Because they didn't necessarily repeat it right away. Or ever. There were times where they might never repeat a movie. It might only, it might only show on TV one time. And if you missed it, you were out of luck. One of the things that I started to do as a kid to try to get around this, this lockout of movies, 
If there was a movie or a TV show that I particularly wanted to see, I would actually get a little tape recorder and I'd set it up near the TV so that I could record the dialogue from the movie. Obviously, you couldn't see it, but at least I could replay the sound of a show that I really, really liked or the sound of a movie that I really enjoyed. And for years, I did have those cassettes somewhere, but the cassettes have lost a lot of sound quality over the years, so they're completely unlistenable now. But I do remember actually sitting in my room popping a cassette of Starsky and Hutch or The Great Escape into the cassette player and listening to it during the afternoon while I was doing my homework or during the evening when there was nothing on TV that I wanted to watch. That was the closest we came to being able to record a movie. Now, jumping forward into the 1970s, that's when the technology first came into existence uh, for commercial use, for you and me and just regular people to be able to record things for use at home. Now, Sony put out the Betamax, which was uh, one kind of technology, and it was a video cassette that had tape in it. Again, magnetic tape. You've heard me talk about magnetic tape in my uh, podcast about radio. It was still magnetic tape that they used to record TV shows as well. Sony introduced the Betamax, which was, if memory serves, it was the first technology that was out there because Betamax came first and then VHS, which is a different format, larger tapes, longer play times, uh, that came second. And when Sony introduced, and I'm sorry, I didn't mean to go into a history lesson, but it's kind of important to understand how things happened because we take it for granted now. We can just stream a movie and you know, think nothing, nothing of it. But back in the day, the concept of you or me or anybody recording a TV show or a movie at home was completely alien. And when the technology was introduced, the major companies, Disney and Universal, and you can check this out if you really want to dig into it, they spearheaded a lawsuit against Sony saying they didn't think that it was an appropriate use of their product, meaning the movies of the TV, to let people have the right to record TV shows or movies in their home. Now imagine that. They sued Sony to stop them from making a product that would let you or me record a show in the privacy of our own home for our own use. It was a huge lawsuit that Sony eventually won. But their technology, the Betamax, was more of a niche technology because the VHS became cheaper. It was more popular because the tapes were longer, so you could record more on a tape. There was even a, a way to program VCRs eventually, so you could get six hours of programming on a tape. Now, granted, the video quality went down when you would put six hours on a tape, but you could have settings on your VHS to record two hours, four hours, or six hours. And that was a very popular aspect of the VHS, which... In my mind, and I haven't done any technology studies on it, I haven't done any really intricate research on it, but in my mind, that's why VHS eventually beat Betamax. Now, Betamax was a superior technology. You had better reproduction, better picture, but it was more expensive. You couldn't record as much on there. So, you know, the popular demand went the way of the VHS as opposed to the Betamax. <laughs> that's... As I sit here thinking about that, that's probably way too much history for you in, a, in, a, <laughs> in an episode that's supposed to be about going to, the, going to the video store. I'm telling you about the battle between Betamax and VHS. Yeah, my mind goes in weird directions. I apologize, but that's the, <laughs> that's the way my mind works. The point of all of this preamble is to tell you about VCRs and video rentals in the video store because going to the video store was 
an experience that you don't have anymore. It was really a unique experience. But before I get to the video store, I have to set it up so that you understand where my experience comes from. When I was a kid, when we finally got VCRs, I really wasn't that much of a kid anymore. And we couldn't afford one anyway. Because the VCRs came out, they were four, five, six hundred dollars a piece. Now think about that for a second. You can go into your Walmart and buy a DVD player for 20 bucks. Back in the day, a video cassette recorder, those big clunky video cassette machines that had those big clunky video cassettes in them, the cheapest you could get was something like $400. It was crazy expensive and we didn't have the money for it, and it was just one of those pipe dreams that we just figured, nah, you know, we'll go over to a friend's house, and maybe they'll have a VCR, and we can watch a movie someday over there. It wasn't until I organized my brother and sister, and that was kind of like uh, herding cats, but I organized my brother and sister because we were all working at the time. We organized, our, 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 we organized ourselves to get our funds together and buy my parents a VCR for an anniversary present. And that was a process. And I had, for all intents and purposes, moved out of the house by that time. So I didn't even get to reap the benefit of it. But I knew that my dad loved movies. My mom loved movies. And by this time, video rental stores were starting to pop up. So I knew if we bought them a VCR, they would actually take advantage of the video rental business and go and rent some videos for themselves. And that's ultimately what happened. But we were able to get our money together and we scrambled together $400 amongst the three of us, and we bought them a VCR. And yes, they did join a video club. And that, that was a process. The joining the video club, the getting the rentals together, the three forms of ID and all of the rules and the rental costs. It was, it was a process that my dad undertook, which is not something he usually did. But the fact that he did it showed me that he really, really was interested in this VCR technology. Now, I'm sure you've all heard of Blockbuster. Blockbuster was the big video rental giant back in the 90s and the early 2000s. But before there was Blockbuster, there was your local video store, and there was a bunch of little chains that popped up. West Coast Video was one. Even though we were on the East Coast, West Coast Video opened up an, uh, an office. They opened up a store near us. There was Hollywood Video. And then every town had its own video rental. Chester Video and Mendham Video and Long Valley Video and Morristown Video. Every little niche had a, a video rental business of some kind. Even the supermarkets got into it. You could go to your local ShopRite or your local Kroger, and there was a video counter there, and they would all have a membership process where you had to sign up and rent videos through whatever place you went. Now, some of those early places, you would be able to get the VCRs, of course. The other thing that was kind of mystical about some of the early places, you could also rent what was called a laser disc. Now, this was a technology that was really fringe at the time, and it was kind of a precursor to DVDs, but I remember the laser discs as well, and you could rent those. They were far more expensive to rent because they were far more expensive to buy. You have to picture a laser disc as a giant vinyl record, except made out of the same material as a DVD is, but it was the size of a vinyl record, and the laser disc player was a device large enough where you could insert this ginormous disc into the video player. Some of the smaller uh, video rental places had a shelf with laser discs on them. And we always looked at those in awe because we didn't know anybody who had a laser disc player. 
They were as rare as hen's teeth. You could not find laser discs except in a few homes, and we were not amongst those who had them. But if you ever want to see some of the early technology, go Google laser disc player, and you'll see what I'm talking about. But we didn't spend a lot of time in the laser disc section because it was a meaningless section for us. We spent our time in the, in the VHS section. Now, in your typical video store, you'd have a video store, uh, you know, probably 20 feet wide and 50 feet long counter at the front, and inside there would be rows and rows of shelves with all of the videos on them. Now, it was almost magical when you walked into these places because you would see the pictures, the artwork on all of the various cassette covers all lined up on the shelves. And they would have the horror section and the action section and the romance section and the comedy section. And then in the back, there was the kids section. And then off to the right, there was that curtained area that we never spoke about, which I'll get to in a minute. But that was the room that we didn't speak of. But each of those sections had tons and tons of videos lined up on the shelves. And the way that it would be is you would have the cover on the front of the shelf. And then however many copies of the movie that that store had lined up in back of the cover. So for instance, if you were going to rent Star Wars, they would have five copies of Star Wars. So you would pull one of the copies from behind the cover for Star Wars and you would take that up to the front of the front of the store and sign it out using your membership card. The tricky part about video rentals was that if you're going to rent movies on a Friday night, for instance, you needed to get there early because if all five copies of Star Wars were gone, you were out of luck. If your backup movie was Die Hard and all five copies of Die Hard were gone, you were also out of luck. And that was often the case with first-run movies. And by first-run movies, I mean the movies that were just released to VHS. If they ran out of copies, you didn't get to see the movie. You could put your name on a waiting list, but you didn't get guaranteed a copy of the movie unless you were on the waiting list and unless your name came up the week that it was available. It was a process. And again, imagine that. Right now, if I want to go stream Star Wars, for instance, I can go do it. If I want to go stream Die Hard, I can find it somewhere. I can find it on Amazon or on Netflix. But if I wanted to rent it and watch it again, if it wasn't in the store, too bad. So anyway, that was the process. You had to get there early enough. You had to make sure they had enough copies of the movie that you wanted. And you had to go in assuming that they wouldn't have a copy of your movie because so many people wanted to see Star Wars or Die Hard or Lethal Weapon or whatever movie you were looking for. So you needed backups and you needed backups to your backups because people all liked a lot of the same movies, which is why they would have multiple copies, but never enough. The other thing you had to factor into the process was if you were bringing your family in there, let's say it's you and your brother and your mom and your dad and everybody wants to see a different movie. What do you pick? Because there's only one VCR in the house. And again, imagine that if I want to watch something on my tablet and Mrs. GamerDude wants to watch something on her tablet, and GamerDude Daughter wants to watch something on her tablet, we can have three movies going at the same time in the house without thinking twice about it. But back in the day, most families had one VCR, one main TV, and so there had to be a consensus on what you were going to rent. You can imagine, there were some disagreements. There were some disagreements when I was younger. There have been disagreements as a, when I was older, and... 
it's something that you get used to with a family. You have to decide, okay, we're going to rent two movies. And usually it was only two movies because, number one, the cost was expensive. And number two, some of the video places would limit you the number of rentals you could take. Some would have a two-movie limit because they only had a certain number of selections and they didn't want somebody cleaning them out. So you would have to come up with movies that everybody wanted to see because we were all going to be watching the same movies. Now, the VHS model eventually evolved into a DVD rental system for a while before Blockbuster bought things up. And then even after Blockbuster bought things up, they would have both VHS and DVDs because DVD players, again, when they were first introduced, were very, very expensive. But the price eventually came down. But not everybody made the transition from VHS to DVD. For instance, my parents took years before I could get them to transition from VHS to DVD because, number one, they'd bought so many movies over the years. And number two, they had recorded so much stuff off of the TV. They had tons and tons and tons of TV programs and movies that they'd recorded off of TV because they didn't want to go buy the movies and they didn't want to lose the TV shows. And so they didn't want to convert to DVD because... Well, DVD is too expensive, and I have all this VHS tape, so I'm not going to throw that away. We're just going to keep that. That was my conversation with my dad many, many times. Dad, it's such, it's such better technology, and you can say, I can see it just fine. But, Dad, look at all the squiggles. I don't care. I know what's going on. Okay, Dad. It was a process to get my dad to switch to uh, DVD, and eventually he had both, but he held on to that VHS. He held on to it for... <laughs> For the rest of his life, quite honestly. Now, one interesting development from the growth of DVD as it replaced VHS was the occurrence of Netflix. Now, most of you know of Netflix, Netflix and Chill. We'll just stream something on Netflix. Netflix has all these original series now. Netflix started as a DVD rental business, believe it or not. You can Google the history, but one of the founders of Netflix started the business because he was tired of paying late fees to his local video store. And yes, you got charged late fees if you returned your DVD or your VHS too late. Sometimes you would have one day to watch it, depending on the popularity of the movie. Some days you would have three days to watch it. If it was an older movie, you might actually get a week. But then they would hit you with the late fees. And sometimes, in some cases, the late fees would cost more than buying the movie. And that's how the places like Blockbuster and Hollywood and uh, West Coast Video made money off of those late fees. Because, you know, how many times do you forget, ah, I got to take the movie back. So Netflix started in response to these excessive late fees. And what Netflix started as, and I signed up for Netflix when it started, it was a DVD rental business by mail. You would sign up with Netflix. You would put in your credit card, you'd pay a monthly fee, and then you could pick out movies that they would send you through the mail. And you could keep them as long as you wanted. You just paid your monthly fee. You'd return it in an envelope. And then you could pick more movies. And it was was great. It was such a big difference from having to worry about getting to Blockbuster and hoping they had the movie you wanted and hoping you could beat the other people trying to get the three different movies you were planning to watch for the next three weeks. If you signed up for Netflix and signed up for the right the right membership, you could have as many movies as you wanted for as long as you wanted. It was great. Now, Netflix, to its credit, saw the change in the industry, and that's when they started creating the streaming aspect 
and the production aspect of their business. But that's that's a subject for another podcast. For purposes of today, Netflix was the natural evolution of the blockbuster phenomenon. And Netflix was great when it started. It still is great now for different reasons, but I love Netflix. The problem with Netflix and the problem with the way streaming is and the problem with the accessibility of movies is this. You don't get the experience of walking down the rows and seeing all the cover art and the giant cutouts of the alien from Alien vs. Predator or the little chucky thing or the smell of the popcorn that they always gave you, the complimentary popcorn as you wandered around trying to pick out movies. It was almost as good as going to the movies because you had kind of an ambiance in the video stores. And you don't have to worry about the fighting with your siblings or your parents about what you're going to watch, but that was part of the process too. And it was more of a a family-oriented group process when you went to go pick out movies. It was one of those, let's do this as a family kind of things. It's not like that anymore. And that's that's kind of a missing element. It's kind of sad in my opinion. Now, before I close the podcast, I did mention the curtain in the back of the video store. You all know what's behind the curtain in the back, don't you? You know. Because out front, there was the action section, the comedy section, the romantic comedy, the horror, the science fiction. The curtain in the back is where the adult films were. And there was a big sign. No one under 18 admitted. And of course, when you're under 18, where's the first place you want to go? Every once in a while, you would catch a glimpse as somebody kind of snuck back behind the curtain and you would see all kinds of weird little titles back there. Debbie Does Dallas, Star Whores, American Booty, The Da Vinci Load, Tits a Wonderful Life. There was a wide variety of interesting titles behind the curtain. Now, me personally... I wouldn't know anything about this. I've heard stories, but I wouldn't know anything about that. But that's one of the other things that you miss out on. You don't get to see the stuff behind the curtain. Not the way you did back in the day. And that too is sad. Maybe not. (laughs) Anyway, that's going to do it for this episode of Storytime. Thank you for stopping by. I really do appreciate you taking the time to give us a listen. I always enjoy sharing these stories with you. I'm glad you enjoy listening as well. Until next time, you take it easy. And I'll see you when I see you.